The uh, situation's pretty bleak there. It's a somber note. Uh, you're probably not lost at the moment. If you're lost, just raise your hand. Okay, that's from the series called Lost. And uh, if I was trapped on an island, I would seriously be questioning all kinds of things. And, you know, it's interesting. If, you're, if you've watched that series at all, you'll know that there was a lot of fighting until they started working together. Even in the worst kind of situation, what we normally do, our human nature, is to, is to become islands into ourselves. It's really to get what we want or to do what we want. And that usually just does, does not work. And, and the, uh, the point today, what I want us to get into today, is you may not be lost on an island. You may not be, you know, even consider yourselves a, a lost person. Hopefully not. But I want to get across this idea that I think, in, in a way, our human nature creates in us a kind of a lost kind of thing that we need to fight against, that we need God to deliver us from. In the church, we, we often say, we're saved and everyone else outside is not. We kind of live like that. And sometimes it's, it, it, it projects a kind of arrogance, something I don't want to ever project. But it is true that if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been found. You are not lost. You, you have been found by the Savior. You, you're being shepherded. You're, you're, in a, you're in a flock now. You are, not, you, you are not your own. You belong to Christ. And what that does as we start realizing that we're not lost, it shouldn't create arrogance. It actually should create dependence. It actually should create a sense of belonging. It actually should create a, a kind of atmosphere where we actually uh, include people who have not been included because that's what's happened to us. And I think part of maturity, part of, part of the message of transformation that the, the gospel brings is our, our own way of understanding, look, Christianity is not just about getting a free ticket into heaven. It's about creating a community here that embodies and glorifies Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to be a part of. You, you were made to live your life not in isolation but in community. That's how you were made. Now, everyone needs alone time. How many of you here say, I love my alone time? My wife, I can tell when she needs alone time. Okay? She's like, uh, honey, just leave right now. Just leave right now, I tell her. Well, I got to do this. No, 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 no. Leave right now. Leave right now. Because I know it's going to create a really good situation for all of us. And she'll just go work out. She'll do like a hundred laps and come back and she's smiling and say, praise God. We were, <laughs> we were made to have alone time, but we were also made to have an experience of shared community. We need that. You, you need a balance. Uh, if you're only by yourself, that's a hermit. If you're always but with other people, you're like me. Okay, so you don't want to do that. You want to have a good balance. We want to welcome you here. If this is your first time to Highlands, we're not going to have you stand up or put a sticker on you. We want to let you know that it is, it's really wonderful for you to be here and, and for you to uh, share this worship experience with us. We, we're here to glorify God. And if you're listening to us uh, through the website, we're really happy that you're doing that as well. How many of you have heard about Sir Ernest Shackleton? Maybe not many of you. He set out to cross the 2,000-mile stretch of the Antarctic continent. He made a public announcement in January of 1914. Get this. 
man wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful. <clears throat> Honor and recognition in event of success. Say, now that's a horrible way of getting the word out. Complete darkness? What are you talking about? Safe return, doubtful? He got 5,000, nearly 5,000 applications. You know, I think that's what, what people want, not just men, but I think people in general. We want to do something that, that really has not been done yet. We, we find our fulfillment in, in doing something new, most of us, many of us. And he was flooded with applications, and his interviewing and selection methods were seen, that they just seemed eccentric to many. And he believed that character and temperament were just as important, if not more important, than technical ability. Yeah, you know how to scale a wall or climb a mountain or whatever, but are, do you endure hardship? How are you when, when you're tested, when, when you're in conflict? How do, you do, how do you resolve that? How do you do that? You know what? He, he narrowed down from about 5,000 to 28 people, 28 men. And his ship was called the Endurance. Now, if you know a little bit of history, you know that that was World War I time. And, and, and just when he was about to launch out, he, uh, he put out, uh, he, he got a message from England. He says, you, should I still go? And Sir Winston Churchill, uh, he, was, he was a secretary of something back then. He said, just proceed. Proceed. He got one word back from Churchill, a man of many words. Proceed. He, a team of 28 men, 68 dogs. Now, that's just a man's dream, right? How many dogs do you need? 68 dogs, 28 men never set foot on the continent. Did you hear me? They never got there. They, they, they were the hopes of being the first to cross the polar continent. The trip was very successful at failing. The ship was frozen in ice. The first thing he did when they, when they got stuck in the ice, he, he, he got out, they all got out of the boat. And the ship, and, the, and he says, okay, let's try to cut our ways out of this. And they, they were kind of looking at each other like, are you serious? Because he knew that if he didn't have them do that, they would question his leadership. Well, did we do everything in our power to get out of ourselves, get ourselves out of this situation? And he knew it was futile, but he still had them do it because he didn't want them to live in the what if. You ever meet someone that lives in the what if? What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? That will eat you alive. And God doesn't want you to live in the what if. He wants us to try everything in our power to glorify him, but we shouldn't live in the what-ifs. The ship was frozen in ice. It actually was, it was crushed, and it sank in November of 1915. They spent a year and a half on the ice. A year and a half. Now, when they were about to leave, he said, when they were about to leave that place where they were, he says, okay, you got to strip all the stuff that you don't really need. You have to have a, an... Just take your essentials with you. And what he did that, as soon as he said that, he said he took out a, a few gold coins, sovereigns, threw them on the, on the, floor, on the ice. He, he took his uh, gold cigarette case. I guess he really liked to smoke. He threw that in the ice, and he opened his Bible that the queen herself had given him, and he ripped out one, one sheet. Bam. Psalm 23. Because he needed to be reminded 
that he had a shepherd. And you know what? Almost two years later, not one person died. They were actually got to a place where they could get some help. Almost two years later. It's one of the most incredible stories of survival. And it was a complete failure. But we're still talking about it. You know what? Even if you try to do something great and you fail, that's still a success. It's still a success. Because he showed a lot of perseverance. Just like his boat, his ship was named Endurance. He really, for me, embodies that. I want to talk about another small group that was on a journey. Not stuck in the ice, but actually caught up in fire. I want to talk about the, the small group that changed the world. I want to talk about someone who was the greatest small group leader of all time. His name is Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I know that it says Acts 20 in your smalleton or bulletin. And you can read that later. That, that's a great story about how Paul actually mirrors Jesus' ministry. J- Paul goes to the synagogue where the Jews and the God-fearers are, are worshiping, and then he does ministry house to house. You can read about, about that. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, that's the story where Paul is preaching. He knows he's not going to have, uh, he's probably not going to see these, these people again, this church And he preaches all night until midnight until someone falls out of the window where they were. Falls out of the window because they were asleep. How do you like that? Paul preached and someone fell asleep on him. I don't feel so bad if one of you fall asleep right now. But this person fell out dead. Paul goes down there, shakes him up, and basically says he's alive. And it looks like he was really, uh, Paul prayed for him. It looks like that. And he goes back and preaches till daylight. I don't know what that's all about. But Luke chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to read it here because my version is a little different. One of those days, that is in the days of Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, the days that he's uh, teaching and he has called disciples already, it says that Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. He spent the night praying praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. That gives you an understanding why he was praying all night long. Whom he also designated apostles. What does apostle mean? Basically sent out one. Someone that is sent out. A disciple is someone that is a learner, an apprentice. Someone that follows Jesus. Someone that just, it, just by the mere fact of being close to Jesus can hear what he says and see what he does and mimic and do the same thing. That's what a disciple is. An apostle is someone that's sent out. And he names them. Peter, the first one, Simon, whom he named Peter. He has nicknames for him. By the way, Peter, if you don't know, uh, the, the word there in Greek is, is Petros. Basically, Rocky. He called him Rocky. Simon, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Bartholomew uh, is also the same person, Nathaniel. Uh, it's just different, different uh, language there. Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice Peter is named first. Who's named last? Judas, right? We, we, don't, name, we don't name too many people Judas these days, right? You don't hear too many Jews. There's a reason for that. It's kind of like, oof. He went down with them 
and stood on a level place. Notice that he takes them with him, takes them with him. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, that's in the north, who had come to hear him and to be healed. I think that's what church's all about, to hear Jesus and to be healed. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I love that. Today I want to talk about the greatest small group leader of all time. In fact, I was thinking about this even in between the services. I was thinking, you know, if Jesus did not start this small group, if Jesus did not pray all night and seek direction from the Father about who to choose, if he didn't spend that all night in prayer and just chose people based on how other people choose people or on a whim, we wouldn't even be here. Jesus would have been known as a healer. He would have been known as a storyteller. He would have been known as a great teacher. But Christianity would not exist unless Jesus did what he did. Create a small group and pour out his life into these people. He would just be known as a teacher. Now that's what the college campuses want us to, to, to think that he is. He is just a teacher. He is just a revolutionary. He is just a person that was a wandering sage. Oh, really? I think he was a little bit more than that. Jesus said at the end of his, at the end of his ministry, and he is there about to be betrayed by Judas, he says, you have stood with me in my trials. For three years he poured his life into these men. I think we often overlook that what, the main thing that Jesus did was small group ministry. That's the main thing he did. Oh, yes, he had large group ministry all the time. But you know what? Jesus would slip away from large groups in order to rest, but he'd always take his small group with him. And I think we have it somehow backwards. We think that if I just have my alone time with God, if I just go to church on Sunday, I'm good. I think we have it kind of wrong. Now, in my own life, if, I, if I'm honest, I, I, I haven't been in a small group every day or every week of my life. That's not required. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is this. When I have been in a small group, when I have actually, actually joined forces with other groups of, uh, other, uh, a group of people, more is accomplished than what I can do on my own. Have you ever noticed that? More can be accomplished. More can be learned. More can be shared in a small group setting. The church grew leaps and bounds during times of persecution in homes. I find it interesting that Jesus, after a night of prayer, and boy does he pray, he does not, want, he does not treat this decision lightly. He chooses a small group of men, a small group of people to be his friends. And he says, you are called apostles. You are, I'm going to call you sent out ones. You're going to, I'm going to share my ministry with you. I'm going to give my ministry to you. And you're going to see God work through you. You're going to be my extension. He chose these men that he might write his message in their hearts 
and in their minds and even in their dreams. It always strikes me as odd that Jesus, being a carpenter, never built one building for the church. (laughs) Jesus, you got skills. Let's build something. In fact, that's what Peter says when he sees the transfiguration. We need to build something right now. Jesus says, no. Not building anything. I'm building you. How about, how about this? Jesus being the wisest of teachers and preachers. I mean, the best preacher by far the world has ever seen. Even if you don't even believe in Jesus, you've heard something about Jesus. He never wrote a book. He doesn't, he doesn't write on a scroll for the whole world to see. This is, these are my thoughts. He writes his message in his small group. His small group, this small band of very imperfect, ordinary people were his legacy. They were not the most talented. They were not the most intellectual. On the contrary, if you read the Gospels, you'll notice they are very prone to mistakes, missteps, misstatements, wrong attitudes. I mean, they're bickering. Jesus spends, how do you like this? Jesus spends three years with them, and they're bickering who's number one. Who's the greatest? They're looking around, now. I know you're not the greatest. And I know you're, you're probably like number seven or eight. I'm probably up, up there, way up there. I'm in the top three at least. And they're bickering. And Jesus says, you want to be the greatest? Be the least. And he gets down and he shows them what ministry, what greatness looks like. He takes a huge towel, starts washing their feet. You want to be great? Serve others. He does not pick the most intellectual people. You know what? They were prone to lapses of faith. You ever been to a church? You screw up once you're out? I mean, they're just kind of just waiting for you to mess up. Oh, well, we knew something about you. Let's have a meeting right now. What? If Jesus would have done that, my goodness. Now, Jesus confronts. But he does it in, a, in order to build up, not to tear down. I mean, number one leader, according to the text, and Peter doesn't write this, he is named first, and boy, does he screw up royally. And boy, is he still used by God. Amen? When Jesus sets out in prayer to choose the twelve, he does not choose a single rabbi. He doesn't choose an accomplished teacher that already has a following and a website and a Facebook account. He he doesn't choose that. He he doesn't choose a Pharisee, a devout keeper of the law, who would tithe or give 30% of their income away to the temple. 30%. said, I thought 10% was hardcore. He didn't choose a Sadducee. I heard a preacher say, uh, a Sadducee was sad, you see. That, that's not a Sadducee. A Sadducee is... <laughs> help us, Lord. Bible college, amen. A Sadducee was a high-ranking official in the temple. They primarily worked just in the temple. They, they, they actually had permission from Rome to do the temple sacrifices and rituals and offerings and all that as long as they prayed for Caesar every day, once a day. So they were actually in cahoots with Rome And they were, man, did they have power and clout. 
He didn't choose one of them. He doesn't choose even a priest, someone from the Levitical line of people who did the sacrifices. He doesn't choose any of them. He doesn't choose anybody with a lot of power. He chooses people who have been overlooked, who look way too ordinary. He chooses people to share his life with. I think this is remarkable about Jesus. You know what? When Peter and and James and John and, and those group of fishermen, when they were fishing and Jesus is on the lake, right there on the shore of the lake, and he's instructing them the first time. This is earlier in Luke. And he says, you know, just cast out again and, and, and go over here and you're going to get a catch. And the boat is sinking from the catch. Remember that story? And what's the first reaction that Peter has? Get away from me. You don't want any part of me. I'm a sinful man. You're a rabbi. You don't want any part of me. I, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm a good fisherman, but I'm messed up. And you just showed me how I'm not even a great fisherman. <laughs> Jesus says, you follow me, and you're going you're gonna to fish for people. And Jesus, in order to, be, uh, to, to, in, to make his legacy, legacy sure, he invests in people. It was an incredible honor to be picked by a rabbi. Only the best of the best would be selected by rabbis to live with them and to learn from them, and they would do everything in their power to, to learn as much from these rabbis, and they would follow them. They would even eat the way they ate and drink the way they drank. Their mannerisms, they would copy everything. And that's what a disciple is. But he chooses the 12 in order to pour his life into them. So what's the bottom line? I think, I think you know what the bottom line is. Okay, Israel, I think you've made your point. I shouldn't discount myself because I, if I wasn't raised in church... And I, nor should I think of myself too highly. And I understand that Jesus is in a, was in the, a small group and he was the leader of the small group. So I probably either need to be a leader of a small group or I need to be in a small group. Very good. Very, very good. You connected the dots well. But I'm still talking to the person who has written me off and, and even before I started speaking. Because maybe you were in a small group and it just didn't work out. Or... or Maybe they were kind of way too much into your business and it was just too fast. And I think all of the staff can agree, we don't want some kind of small group where everyone is just like crowding over you and just trying to extract all the sin from your life. You know, just, just show us who you are, you know. Just give us all right now. We're not going to let you leave. Not that kind of stuff. It should be, you know, friendship should be developed. Natural friendship and trust. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that, you're missing out on a great gift. And I, I say, just like, just like Shackleton, if, if you have to set out to, to, to be in a small group to accomplish that and, and to pour your life out for someone else and to listen to them, it's in a small group where you really learn to listen. You ever been in a small group where only one person talks? That's not the type of small group we want to have here. Okay, we need to learn how to balance that out. We need to learn how to share our burdens with one another. So the question is, why aren't you in a small group if you've never tried one? Or maybe even if you were burned out by one. 
God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. That, that old cliche still holds true. And I, I also want to leave you with this. Graham asked me to preach on small groups, and I, I was thinking, why does Graham always ask me to preach on something I never preached on before? He, he gets me good every time. I, I appreciate that. I have a great friendship with him. I think all of the staff can agree on this, that a personal devotion time, if we're growing in that, hopefully, and even coming here on Sundays, there's still something missing. Have you ever noticed that? If you grew up in the church, man, you're faithful every, every Sunday. I grew up in the church. I, grew, I, I went to t- Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Sunday evening. Boy, I was tired of church, and I hadn't even gone yet. My mom said, let's go again. I said, why are we going now? Missionary night. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, here we go. Let's do it. <clears throat> I'm not talking about getting so overwhelmed by church activity that you're burned out. I'm not talking about that. Sometimes I think we have to slow down our lives. And we have to rest just like Jesus rested. I think we need to pray like Jesus prayed. And I think we need to not only minister in a small group, a a large group setting like this, but I think that if we focus our attention and energies as Jesus did in a small group, you'd be amazed at what kind of maturity and what kind of of things can be developed by that because a small group is is created for the for the other person next to you but ultimately even a small group needs to bless the world and that's exactly what Jesus' small group did so if you're here today here's what i'm telling you to do you don't need to be jesus i'm just asking you to be like jesus rest pray spend time in, in Sunday worship, just like you're here, God bless you if you're here. God bless you if you're here and, and you're still wounded from what another church did to you. God bless you, but don't stay there. Don't stay there wounded. God's going to bring healing to you. And, and, and start a small group or join an existing one. Be on the lookout for that and see what God does. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, if it wasn't for your small group, we probably wouldn't even be here. So I want to thank you, God, that, that you really call the people that others have overlooked. And we even discount ourselves. We, we don't think we're, we're much of anything at times. And so much of us have low self-esteem. But God, you're not calling us to think highly of ourselves just because of ourselves. You're, you're calling us to see the worth and to live in the joy of your Son. And to live that in community. So I pray, God that there would be a turning point in our lives, that our small groups in this church, in this body of believers, would be known for their hospitality, would be known for the healing that you, that you perform, and also that your word of truth would be evident. In Jesus' name, amen.